L-A-S. The LAS Podcast Network is an independent network of local creators based in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more, visit LASPodcastNetwork.com. Hey y'all, Alan here. Uh, thank you so much for coming to listen to another episode of The Making of Myths of Myria. Today I'm going to be talking with my friend Logan about the fantastical making of season one of Myths of Myria. We're going to goo, goo? We're going to do a recap of the entire first season so that you can kind of get caught up so that we can get ready for season two, which will be dropping soon. And perhaps we're, we might talk about a couple behind the scenes things and maybe some hints for what season two is going to be about too. So I hope you enjoy. You're fantastic. Thank you for sharing these precious pieces of your day with us. And here we go. Well, Alan, we're here. Yes, we're here. How it's, does, it's the end of season one. And the beginning of season two. Yeah. We're in that in-between space. It's exciting and terrifying all at the same time. <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know, because um, I'm the odd voice in this situation, yeah. um, my name's Logan Schultz. Uh, I'm the founder of the LAS Media Group mm-hmm. and uh, executive producing this show alongside you. So mm-hmm. supporting you in this, helping figure out uh, you know what, what the story is going to feel like, the big picture elements. Yes. And uh, and how we then turn and take that out uh, as a product for the community. Yeah. Uh, but you are in the in-between space. Yep. In terms of story and creating yeah. the show. Yeah. Um, so just for transparency's sake, we've already recorded the first few episodes. Yep, the first three. Yep. Of, the sh- of season two. Yes, yeah. So your head is in season two now. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm locked in at this point. Yeah. Right. But what we're going to do today mm-hmm. is take a look back. So we're going to look back at season one, yeah. which um, uh, I got to be a fan of. Yes. So I listened to the episodes as they released. I'm very glad. Uh, which was cool. Yes. It was a fun I, I, was, I was very excited for you to like give me all of your little pieces of joy as you watched through the episodes. Or sorry, listened through the episodes. Right. Logan would come through and in this uh, chat that we had, he would tell us about the things that he loved about the episodes and they brought us a lot of joy. So Yeah, it was a unique experience because I really got to intake the story the way that the listener would Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. which is different than when you're in the storytelling of it yes you know the actual players that are here playing the game yeah um which speaking of if this is the jumping in point for new listeners if somebody doesn't want to go through and listen to all of season one but they're ready to jump in with season two yeah um let's Let's create a space for them. Yeah, this is definitely something where, you know, uh, I think that you and I have talked about this a lot, but just yep. for transparency, one of the biggest things with long shows about this is that you really want to have those on-ramps for people to be able to, to like, jump in where they can, yes. right? And so this is going to be some hopefully useful uh, tooling for some of those people who 
want to get in, but don't want to have to listen to the 23 hours of the first season of Myths of Myria. Right. Gosh. Right. 23. I know. 23. You could stay up for a whole day and just get through the first season. It's in, That's insane. I know. I, I hope that you, and I know the other players do, but I hope that you feel really proud of what you've created oh, man, so far. I'm so happy. And I know, it, you know it's taken a little bit of time to get up and running with season two, but man, this stuff takes a lot of time to plan and get ready and stuff like that. So uh, I'm just happy that we are still moving forward with it because, you know, that's been a dream of mine for so long is to be able to, you know, not only do something like that with D&D, but, you know, I love writing stuff. And when I'm able to put that, type of media, that type of love, that type of care out in there in, in the world um, makes me happy. So I'm glad that I could finally do that with all of my friends. And let me, I guess, throw in there. Um, you said it took a little bit to get to season two and it did. Yeah. Um, there's a few reasons why, not the least of which is you and I are recording this in a completely different space. Than yeah. Where season one was recorded. Completely different studio. Yes. So we're in a new space. We've moved from downtown Cedar Rapids yep. at Theater Cedar Rapids to uh, a beautiful, much bigger studio yes. in the Czech Village. Yes. Um, with some new equipment and some exciting new opportunities in yes. here. Um, so yes, LAS is a company, a young startup has grown quite a bit yeah. and we need to kind of figure some of that stuff out. Yep. And we wanted to make sure that season two was done right. Cause yeah. we're all in love with the show and we want to make sure that we do it well. Ah, so I'm having the happy times over good, here. Yes. Good, good, good. <laughs> so, but now we're here. Yep. You and I are here tonight yes. together and, uh, and yeah, we're going to talk about it all. I'm excited about this flowchart. You've put together a flowchart. <laughs> An entire flowchart for the first season, just so that we could go over all of the key points. <laughs> so uh, let's do this really quick. If you're a, a Mitsumeria fan, if you already know all of this, hopefully you hang out and learn something new yeah. or get a nice refresher. But for anyone who's brand new, like we talked about, those yep. on-wrap people, mm-hmm. um, what is Myths of Myria, if Myth- you had to summarize it? Yeah, Myths of Myria is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast that is hopefully accessible to everybody, uh, even those who don't really know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. It's mostly a long-form improv about a fantasy world where a bunch of people are trying to kind of find their way in the world. And, um, yeah, I think that's probably about the best way that I can describe it. There's a lot of interaction, a lot of different crazy stories that are overlapping throughout the entirety of it. Uh, I think you kind of have to just to get in there, but it's mostly a uh, an improv story. We're writing the story as we go through it. Right. We've got some some things, some high-level beats that we're trying to hit, yep. but other than that, it's being written in the moment that we record, and yeah. Which is an interesting thing to call out because... Um there's a lot of different ways that you could approach a Dungeons and Dragons live play podcast. Yeah. And we're doing it in a bit of a unique way Mm -hmm. where, um, when we record, when you record, you are recording a session that is usually three, sometimes four hours long. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're cutting those up into hour long episodes. Yes. That are uh, a little more edited and sculpted yeah. and, and music. Much you know, more digestible in. than trying to listen for three hours to a single episode. Yeah. Right. And it has sometimes led listeners to think that maybe things are scripted. Yeah. Um, because they feel a little cleaner, a yeah. little tighter. But it's not. They're not, yeah. I think the, the one of the big things that comes out from that is usually between sessions, I will ask the players, like, what is your intent? What do you want to do? And then I will try and craft things around their intent. So I think one of the things that was kind of one of our shortcomings of, of learning this new style, yeah. learning how to do this, was trying to... 
uh, figure out how to let the listener in on more of that, right? We want to get that more. But I think that uh, we, we lost a little bit of that with me trying to ask in the middle of sessions and then write the whole session forward. Sure. And then going through like that. So uh, hopefully this season has a little bit more uh, uh, wildness to it, which I think will be exciting. <laughs> I definitely, it's really exciting. It's the thing that makes it special, right? That yeah. it's not scripted, but we're actually hearing the players make active choice yeah. in the moment. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. I think there's a lot of potential for yes. for things to go haywire yes. uh, this season too. Um, do you mind doing a, a brief overview of who our characters are? Again, for, yes. the, for those new listeners, who who are the characters that feature in this story? The main three characters are Valros Visago, who is portrayed by Jackson Parker, and he is a tiefling who is a um, well. We learn that he's a tiefling later, right? and again, we're referencing season one. Yes, this is yeah. season one. Yeah, uh, he is basically a, a card slinging, smooth talking gambler, and he likes to you know, win money and uh, win over people. And then he is, at the beginning of our journey, following a treasure map that he has recently won in a, uh, a game of cards. Valros uh, has long white silver hair with purple tips at the end, uh, matching his vest of a similar violet shade. He wears these dark pants with a yellow line down the side. He has a yellow tie on his cream-colored shirt, uh, the sleeves of which look like they might have been rolled up at one point, but yeah. have fallen down, and he just hasn't really taken the time to roll them back up. Uh, his, his tie is loose, his collar open. You would notice right away, just by looking at him, below his uh, purple headband, his eyes, where they would be white on a normal person, mm -hmm. they are black and the irises are that same golden yellow as his tie mm -hmm. and the streak down the side of his leg. He also has a rainbow of scars going down the right side of his face under his eye. Very nice. Right, and, right. Uh, let's go through, let me think, who, who should we go with next? Let's go with her. Uh, okay. Her is um, a custom race that we have created for our D&D world called an Evian. And it basically just means something brand new, right? And it is a race where this amalgamation of souls kind of like bundle together and create a consciousness and jump into an available body, right? And her is, she just wakes up and like jumps out of a coffin and starts experiencing life. Uh, she is a uh, elven woman with this silver hair and these um, kind of uh, muddled eyes that are kind of like silvered over. And she's just learning the world for the first time. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, not to derail you, we'll come back to uh, our third character in just a moment. But one of my favorite things from season one, and I think a lot of people's, was... Yeah. Um, Getting to experience the world through her's eyes. Yeah. I think um, the the person playing her, Morgan, yeah. did an incredible job of, yeah. of that childlike wonder. Yes. That was captured. Yes. So, yeah, loved that in season one. Yes. Oh, yeah, and sorry, I didn't even say her name. Her name's Morgan Willis. Yeah, yeah. so she plays her. <laughs> yeah, and her is actually the name of the character, like the, the pronoun, right. her. What is this? 
Uh, Val kind of looks at Shadow. What? What is what? She points down at the water. That. Um, that's water. It's what we drink. Oh yes, yes, yes. No, I've, I've, I've heard of that. Yes, I have. Heard of it. Why is it so big? Uh, it's the ocean. It, yes. Oh, ocean, right? Everywhere. Yes. The big blue wet thing. Okay. Big blue wet thing. <laughs> big blue wet thing. Okay. A lot of water. Yes. yes. What about that? She points at the sun. That's the sun. It helps right. warm everything, yes. Yep, know that one too. Uh, I like it. Is it all like this? Is what like this? Everything. Is, is yes. interesting? Uh, nice to look at. Pretty. Oh, no. Some better, some worse. Mm. What he said. Some, yeah, that's... She looks at unit 867. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and Shadow is played by our uh, last player, Josh Wagner. And he is a large metal man that punches people really good and works for a country called Levitica. And he is investigating some odd occurrences that are going on. And he meets Val and her and... His intent starts to change, and the way that he interacts with the world starts to change, and we get to kind of see him evolve a little bit over the course of this season. He starts a little bit rough and tumble, but over the course of this season, he uh, learns a little bit of patience. So, yeah. Val, you see Shadow. Shadow, you see Val. What do I see? Yeah, what do you see? You would see... um Roughly uh, just over seven feet tall. Um, Jeez. A, a <laughs> large, <laughs> a large, uh, heavy plated uh, suit of armor almost looking. Um, uh, it's, it's almost as if they took a peacekeeper, uh, stretched it out a bit. And so it's, it's just. In every large, direction? Yeah. Okay. In, in, in every direction. <laughs> not just, not just vertically. Yeah, I'm, like I'm a lanky just... guy. Um, no, just. Just really beefy, for the lack of a better term. Um, beefy. Uh, the yeah. the metal with which it looks uh, I'm made out of is, um, if you took iron and just like, it, it was just like really scraped and brushed metal. I mean, it's uh, it, it looks like a like a really uh, worn, rusted at all. Uh, no. Okay, just worn. Um, just worn. Okay. Um, it's seen. It's seen some weather. Uh, uh, a red cloak, um, signifying potentially, if you would know, uh, like Levitican uh, army. Okay. Um, and then on uh, his left shoulder, uh, pretty apparent because it is large, would be a Levitican symbol, which is like an a big L, a curved L in a circle. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and then my right shoulder is completely devoid of any marking or anything like that. Okay. And so I think what what we can do to kind of walk people through a recap of season one mm-hmm. is kind of go episode by episode or session by session, as we would. Sure. And just kind of uh, 
recap what happened and and how that impacted the characters in the world and, and what the listeners learned. Yeah. Um, and we can kind of do that at a, a top level. Um, and then you know you being the uh, dungeon master and sure. um, and world master mm-hmm. that you are yeah. um, can provide some additional context sure. and, and some story and bring us up to date uh, yes. to season two and let us know what we can expect going forward. Yes. Wonderful. Um, and we kind of touched on it already. So the first three episodes, uh, number one, the beginning at the crossroads, number two, the mysterious her. Yep. And number three, the fight with the Goliath. That first session that you recorded really yeah. felt like uh, um, an introduction to these characters and bringing them all yes. together. Yeah. It was a little bit of discovery, uh, a little bit of uh, unearthing, and a little bit of trying to figure out how all of their combat mechanics worked. So, sure. yeah. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, episodes four, five, and six, we get to Blackwater. Yep. Right. Do you want to walk us through what happened there? And, yeah. And just a little bit of that. There's uh, a, a fun shopping episode yep. we did and all that as well. And there's some new characters. Yep. We get to meet a new character. Well, a new character for us, but uh, not a new character for Val. Right. Orion. Distinction. Yeah. An, uh, Orion is a character that Val has met before, and he, he's actually the character that he won the treasure map off of. The treasure map actually led to her. And her wakes up in the mausoleum, and then they all travel back to Blackwater together after fighting the Goliath. And then they meet Orion and learn that he would like some help with a Colosseum fight in order to win some deeds of these houses that his boss wants uh, for for reasons that may become relevant in the future. But then they have this nice little shopping episode where they go and meet some people. Um, we see that Shadow goes and meets with his mysterious boss, uh, uh, Field Marshal Vintner, who is trying to get Shadow to stick around these people and try and investigate them a little bit more, get to know them. And uh, we go through all of that and get to the Coliseum episode. And, oh boy, that one's really fun. A couple things to dig into there for just a moment. Yeah. First off, we skipped maybe the most important character. Oh no! Introduction. What did I do? Um, oh boy! The fan <laughs> favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, unintentionally. Yes. Uh, unit eight six seven. Unit eight six seven. Yes. Um, <laughs> who was met in episode one? Yes. He was. Uh, so the reason Shadow was sent out was to investigate why all of these. Uh, extra robots that Levitica has uh, were going missing because they were supposed to be these cartographers mapping the western coast of Antillanon, which is the continent where all of this um, this season occurs. Yep. And none of them were coming back. And so he went there, he investigated, he found a bunch of deactivated, uh, uh, you know, they're called peacekeepers. They found a bunch of deactivated peacekeepers and he just found 867 walking in a square. I have been sent here to map the western coast of Antillanon. I am still trying to map the western coast of Antillanon. I believe that I cannot progress beyond my current position. I seem to be magically inhibited. I shall try again. And then it puts down its hand, and it turns left, and it <laughs> walks forward, and um. then it turns left again. <laughs> And he was, like, drained of battery and just continuing to walk. And they realized that there was actually a magical barrier uh, protecting the mausoleum that they found her in. And if you didn't know about the mausoleum, you couldn't get to the mausoleum. So the fact that Val had the treasure map was what allowed them to get through this magical barrier. 
and uh, 867 was just walking into Square, and they were like, oh, look, a cool, fun guy just to hang out with, and they brought him along. You know what? That's actually, I'm just realizing right now, that's something I didn't know or I didn't understand. Yeah. What was the magical barrier? Why did that happen? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That it was tied to... Yeah, some of the things, you know, like, I'm not going to give all of the explicit answers, (laughs) right? Because I want the characters to sometimes be like, oh, wait, I get it now, right? Right. Um, And some of those things, uh, the beauty of D&D is that sometimes you just lose things. And and I have no problem with losing those threads because I think there's some sort of mystique in having some things just not known. Um, I mean, of course I'm going to give the things that are like the most relevant, very upfront. You should probably know this kind of status, but there'll be small things like that where it's like, Oh, I didn't know that you couldn't pass through this barrier if you didn't know where the mausoleum was. Right. And it didn't hinder the story in any way. Right. Of course. It didn't hinder the storytelling from the listener's perspective. Yes. 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 Well, and yeah, when eight, six, seven and shadow go to the Levitican embassy, Vintner actually takes eight, six, seven away and dismantles him and doesn't allow Shadow to hang out with 867 anymore. So right. that is a big thing that happens in Blackwater before the Coliseum fight. Right, and um, that ties itself to an upgrade, right? Yeah. That Shadow gets. Yeah, Shadow gets these big brass knuckles made out of right. <laughs> out of 867's unused parts. So, yeah, it's lovely. Hilarious. <laughs> yes. That. Um, and that's, can you dive a little bit more into that context around Vintner? Yes. And... And Shadow's whole situation. Can you give us a nice overview of that? Yeah. So Vintner, Field Marshal Vintner, is the leader of a group called the Nachtwanderer, which in German means the Night Wanderers, right? And uh, it's basically this uh, secret police that the country of Levitica has, who is far across the sea, uh, and they have these... um, you know, they have these embassies in each of these cities that they can teleport to back and forth, uh, which makes travel for them really easy, information gathering for them really easy. Uh, and, you know, these secret police are sent out to do the missions that are not intended to be known about to the Levitican citizenship, right? So every all the citizens in Levitica, they don't need to know about the secrets, the secret stuff that the Nachtwandera do, right? Uh, they're honestly... Um, in some Levitican cities, the the boogeymen, right? And they're like, the, it's like children's stories that you tell them to calm down and go to sleep. It's mm. like, you go to bed or else the Nachtwanderer will get you. Interesting. And so um, Shadow's part of that group. And uh, he is one of the Levitican soldiers that doesn't have like an insignia on their shoulder or a rank insignia on their shoulder because no one's allowed to know his rank because you're not supposed to know about the Nachtwanderer. Got it. And at this point in the process, um, her and Val aren't truly aware of no completely unaware yeah like i think that he just kind of goes over to the uh, embassy he's like and then he and he just comes back and they're like oh i guess you just went to check in with your boss i guess and it's fine so and they don't really know any context around vintner at all right yeah so then we have this coliseum fight yep can you walk us through what happens there oh boy it's fun uh (laughs) you, you just go in and basically they fight this large cat man who is a menace to the city. And eventually they use their newfound spells that they bought at the bookshop in the, in the city to shrink him down. And then shadow just wrestles him into submission. And it is an incredibly fun fight for, I, I had a ton of fun DMing that fight. It was super fun. So, uh, so you have the option to, uh, move your bird or peck for flavor. 
Um, it will sit on his head and like just peck his forehead. Okay. Uh, as it, it flies down to an unconscious Brayor, and it just goes, ding, ding. <laughs> and with that, the entire crowd erupts into applause, and Melgris just goes, yeah, that was so awesome! You guys totally beat the shit out of Brayor! <laughs> and you are you are seeing a ton of people just in the crowd. You lock eyes with Gilgar, and he's just going fucking ape shit. <laughs> Shut up, Gilgaz! He just... <laughs> and he is very excited. They totally gamed the system, which is exactly what I want my players to do. <laughs> if I fail because they're smart, I've actually won because I've shown them interesting things that they can use for tools, and so I feel so happy. And also, we found out about a new character in the Coliseum fight, Arno. Yes. And Arno was set up in the stands for Orion as a backup because Arno and Orion work for the same company, the Vero, right? Or the same group. And he was put in the stands as a backup just in case he was losing. So Arno would cast spells from the stands to make sure that Orion won. And uh, he was stuck there. But once he saw who Orion brought in as his group, he saw that her was there. And he knew her as someone named Lyra. And he tried to talk to her as if she was someone named Lyra. And he told her that she died six years ago. And everybody's kind of getting confused. You know, they found her in a mausoleum in a coffin and she just jumped out of there. And now she's, you know, back in this coliseum with someone who knows her from a little while ago. Um, They succeed, and they get the deeds to these houses in the tiefling quarter of a city named Ebonvale, which is where most of our, the rest of our story occurs. Um, And the Vero get those for things that may become relevant later. So, yeah. No, we need a t-shirt with that on it. Yes. Things that may become relevant (laughs) later. It's most of my, most of my stuff in DMing is like, I'm going to put a bunch of stuff in here. I'm just going to, sprinkle all these different threads in and I'm like these things may become relevant later but I have no idea so we'll see how that goes how it goes so Orion and our trio win they win this house deed Mm -hmm. they connect with Arno yep and Arno believes her to be somebody named Lyra yep and he runs up to you and he just says no that's my best friend I need to speak to her I'd look at her I do you know him? That's Lyra, Lyra Gildengard. What? Uh, uh, no, I, I, I don't. Know. Lyra, do, do you remember me? Well, no. My name's My name's Arno. Arno May. Oh, you're the guy in the book. What? In the book? The the journal talks about you all the time. The journal. Yeah, you, and she holds your, up her journal. That's that's your diary. Yes, your journal. No. It's written by someone else. See, and she opens up the pages and like points at a page with no, some nice no, handwriting, and then points at a page with some shitty I rem- handwriting. I remember you. You are Lyra Gildengard. You. Uh, she shakes her head. Uh, no, but it's nice to meet the man in the book, Arno. Um, and then they all go to Ebonvale. Yes. Uh, what is Ebonvale? Ebonvale is a city that is basically uh, built on the sundered face of a mountain. Easiest way I can describe it, think Pride Rock, but like a hundred times bigger and then 
you know where Rafiki holds up Simba and he just goes, you know, like, oh, look, it's a baby, right? It's like that, <laughs> but it's like that space a hundred times bigger and they built a city on it, Yeah, right? And so uh, basically Ebentvale lives in this space and they come back to there because that's where the Vero are actually uh, staged, right? And that's where... Um, a lot of in, like interweaving things occur. You know, that's where Val is originally from, right? That's where Lyra, the person who her, like her's body was inhabited b- with before right. she got there uh, was, and that's where her family is and things like that. And so they were going back to Ebonvale to kind of turn in this secondary quest that Orion had uh, so that they could get their rewards. And Orion also gave Val the usage of a house in Ebonvale for helping him in the Coliseum. So our heroes have a house. They have a house. Um, it's awesome. And yes, just to be super clear, um, the the deed, the house deeds that they won from this Coliseum fight yep. were to be delivered back to the Vero. Yes, correct. Um, Give us a little more context there. Tell us about the Vero. Yeah, the Vero are a group that have started to buy up all of the land in the Tiefling Quarter of Ebonvale. The Tieflings were uh, originally one of the founding races that made this city, and they recently um, learned some religious truths about their religion, and it spurred them to a pilgrimage to go and find some place called Ewageza. And Ewageza is, is the promised land, right? And so all of them up and left the city at the same time, leaving a quarter of the houses just unclaimed, right? And so all of a sudden, this kind of shady group named the Vero came in here and started buying up all the houses, right? They just had almost unlimited wealth to buy up all of these houses, right? And... Once they bought up all the ones that they could, they had to go and start finding the deeds to the rest of them. And that is what they are doing right now, is trying to collect all of these deeds. And uh, yeah, Orion is one of that group. And because he needed a little bit of extra money while all of the other tieflings were gone, because Arno is himself a tiefling, um, he needed to get a job and he started working with them. And so as they come into Ebonvale... We meet some more characters. Yes. We meet Caius and we meet Mimi. Uh, both of them uh, I love. Caius is from a previous campaign of mine. And uh, I try and kind of let him go a little bit because I don't want him to just like, you know, I don't want the, a DMPC to be around. But uh, he and Val uh, actually are um, really good friends. Uh, Caius was actually the one who taught Val to throw cards as a weapon. Uh, he knew that if he had a deck of cards, he was always able to defend himself, right? And so that was something that he taught Val, and they were pretty good friends. Um, Val had some trouble with his dad, and Caius kind of stepped in as that father figure for Val to make sure that he didn't feel kind of abandoned in, yeah. in Ebonvale. Um, Mimi is just a wonderful little goblin lady uh, who uh, is just trying to provide for her family, right? And she's kind of frustrated. She talks to Caius like, why are all these houses in the Tiefling Quarter just empty when there's so many people who are poor and don't have a lot of money in Ebonvale? We could all be living there. And he basically tells her, you know, like the the Vero Bottom Fair and Square, like it's their land. Like I don't, I'm my hands are kind of tied, but I don't like it. And there's a lot of weird, complicated politics going on with that. Speaking of complicated politics, yeah. 
our our team splits up. Yeah. As they get into town. Yes. And we definitely do some more exploration around the politics that are happening here in yeah. town. Um, can you dive a little bit into that? And and in particular, let's start with um, Val and Shadow. They, yeah. they go off. Yeah. So Val and Shadow and Orion uh, all go to the house of the Gildan Guards, right? Um, we know the Gildan Guards as um, uh, that's the family of Lyra, right? So... We've learned this from Arno. Right, yeah. exactly. And her knowing that the body that she's in used to be inhabited by someone named Lyra Gildengard, she's like, I don't really want to, I'm not, they're not my parents, right? I don't want to talk to them. They're, I don't want to be like, you know, brought in there as a trophy. Because Orion was trying to show to the Gildengards that he had completed a task for them, right? The task was to go and check on the mausoleum and see that it was still safe, right? Um, that was one of his tasks, and in return, they would give him a deed for one of their homes in the Tiefling Quarter, right? They, Which, of course, is his larger mission right? Exactly, Vero. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, they go there, they talk to the Gildan Guards, and specifically the patriarch of the, of the family, um, Arsenio Gildan Guard, is very perturbed that they found Ly- uh, Lyra's body up and walking and with someone new in it. He believes that it's just, you know, Lyra with some memory problems and that, you know, she should be brought back. And, you know, it's not their choice to keep Lyra away. She shouldn't actually have a choice in the matter either because she doesn't know what she's thinking because she's lost her memory. Um, And he doesn't give the deed back, even though Orion uh, successfully sends Val even though Val didn't know it, he was sent out to go and check on the mausoleum, right? And, right, treasure and, and, map, all, yeah. Yes, exactly. And so all of this uh, actually worked out completely as described in the contract that they had made. And uh, Arsenio doesn't allow the, the deed to be turned over until he has Lyra back, which is not necessarily in the contract. So there's some friction that starts to occur there. Because, I mean, of course, everybody can empathize with a father who's you know, who has lost a daughter, of who course. wants the daughter back. If she, if you see your, like, dead daughter from six years ago up and walking and you're like, what the hell is going on? I want her back. Tell me where she is, right? And the rest of the group is trying to protect her because her very obviously doesn't feel comfortable with the situation. She doesn't feel like she, those people are her parents. And so there's a lot of friction that's occurring there in, in this space. Yeah, she felt a certain reluctance because she didn't know how you would take the whole I'm not your daughter, but I have the body kind of thing. I don't... If she has amnesia, the only safe place to be is her home. But what if she doesn't have amnesia? She surely does. Lyra has amnesia and she should come home. But she was pretty certainly dead, right? Orion pipes up and he just says, Um... Sorry, she's going by her now. And Arsenio just says, My daughter's name is Lyra, and she's coming home. And I'm not giving you this deed until you bring her back to me. And, yeah, Orion's pissed. Uh, Shadow and Val are pissed because they don't... Orion's more pissed because of uh, him not getting the deed. But there's definitely some implications that this hard shell that Orion's putting off is kind of softening because 
he sees her saying like, I don't feel comfortable here. Some people make me sad and I don't want these people to like think that I'm their trophy, right? And he really empathizes with that. That was actually probably the biggest character choice that like split the narrative for uh, the entire season. You know, Morgan said, I don't want to go to the Gilden Guards. And originally I had the whole season written out because she was going to go to the Gilded Guards. Yeah. And she didn't do it. And I was like, you know what? This just makes the story better. And I rewrote most of my big plot points. And it was better because she made such an awesome in-character decision that I wasn't prepared for. And it was awesome. I, I loved the interaction. There was so much tension in that first meeting with Arsenio and him uh, obviously he was nice up until they all started being like, we're not going to give you Lyra. Right. And then, yeah. And then it all kind of went downhill from there. Yeah. I think there's a lot of nuanced uh, character storytelling um, in season one of this show, which is, it was just so incredible. And I think um, it, it's interesting to see the world um, as seen through the lens of these characters Yeah, and her juxtaposes so much Val and Shadow and Orion and these other characters yeah. who are a little bit hardened by their experiences and, yeah, and she, by the world. She's got a lot of hope, a lot of like almost um, like uh, um, naivety, but like in a um, a whimsical way, yeah. right? And she's trying to find the good in all of these situations, you know? And just big feels, you know? Yeah. Her feels things big and yeah. will let you know it. And yes. I think that's just very interesting when, yep. you know, characters... Uh, usually in this world hold things close to their chest. Yes. So I'm going to give a, a, a small piece of, of lore that no one knows about. Awesome. Right? Uh, so actually when all of these, uh, these um, pieces of fragmented souls collided and coalesced into her, right? Um, Sometimes with Avians, they have different sets of emotions than normal beings, right? So normal beings will will feel things in a certain way, but Avians may have slightly more anger, or or they won't be able to feel empathy, or they might be like their wires might be crossed, and they might you know instead of feeling uh, pain, they feel joy, right? And so there's like these weird things that can happen in the psyche of an Avian because of the way that all of the souls that made them, these fragmented pieces, come together. And one thing that Morgan and I talked about as we created her was that her has an, a slight excess of hope. Interesting. That's an interesting terminology. Yes. 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 And so, and that was so wonderful because like, I think we really needed that honestly yeah. to juxtapose against shadow uh, because I think there's a strong divide between the experiences that they've had. Sure. So, yeah. Right. Right. Which of course it sounds like we'll get to see some more. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm excited to talk about some of shadow stuff too. I love all of the characters. Oh, Jackson, Morgan, Josh, uh, all did incredible uh, at creating such lovely characters and I love them all. So yeah. So um, let's stick with Val and Shadow for just a moment. Yeah. After they go to the Gilden Guards, um, they get to go and actually interact with the Vero. Yeah, right. so the, the Vero um, actually have a headquarters in the now abandoned church in uh, in the Tiefling Quarter. There's this, Which may or may not be relevant Right, later. relevant later. Right. In, in possibly the later, later, later piece of, of the season. Yeah. Uh, and there is a huge church with a hollowed out back, right? All of the back walls have been removed and it's just this open air church that all of the Tieflings used to use but are no longer using. They meet a, a lawyer named Nefreya, who handles all of the accounting and uh, deed holding for the um, 
uh, for the Vero, and she is told about the situation with the Gildan guards, and she says that she's going to start pulling strings to make sure that Arsenio does good on his word. Got it. Yeah. Um, her does not go along with this. No. Yeah. What is her doing at this point? Because this is this is core to her's character oh, yeah. and, and some sto- season one storytelling. Yeah. Um, you, as we see her kind of split off, she goes with Arno and 867 and they go and meet Arno's mom, Greya Willow. Um, we see that Greya's last name is Willow and Arno's last name is May. So there's some confusion there. Um, ultimately they go and explore this, uh, this house that they are, going to be able to live in for a little while. And we discover that Arno and Greya were part of this religion, this tiefling religion, and everybody left and went to Ewageza, right? Yep. Um, and that Arno uh, is staying because his mom is staying. His mom didn't have the physical strength to be able to go and make this big pilgrimage, right? She is, uh, as we see, in a wheelchair, and she has the ability to walk, but she's just old and frail and doesn't have the same amount of energy she used to have. And um, Arno basically stayed here to take care of her, and his secondary reason was to find his dad, who basically was never in the picture, and he kind of hopes to hold him a little bit accountable for leaving his mom and him in the in the dirt, right? Because May is the name given to bastards in the in the world of ah. uh, Ebonvale. Mm-hmm. So that's the last name that is given to them. It uh, literally translates to hope in Infernal. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, her has an experience. Yeah, here they get to the they get to the house and yeah. they explore through the entire house. They have a wonderful time experiencing it together, and then she just feels this wellspring of kind of like almost like um, contentedness. And then she walks to the front door and opens it up again, and Arno and Greya and eight six seven are outside the, at the front door, and she starts talking to them and realize that they don't know how she got inside, even though they all just explored the inside of the house together. And we discover that her just experienced a rewind in time and went back to before they actually explored the house together, implying that her somehow has a link to time magic. Arno! You call out his name again. You don't hear anything. Right as you yell Arno, you hear <laughs> 12 times. And you run outside, you throw the door open with your mage hand. And walking up to the front of the door, you just see a very confused Arno pushing his mother in a wheelchair, and he turns around, and he looks behind him, and he looks back to you. He says, How did you do that? Do what? I haven't even... And he holds out the keys in his hand. Can I hold up my keys? You hold up your keys, and as you try and grab for them, they're not there. We just took a tour of the house. What are you talking about? I just we just got here. 
I was in the house and we had walked around and I ate a tomato like an apple and you said that was really weird. And and 867 broke the leg of a bed and the the chimes on the bell tower went off 12 times and you said it was like noon and we went around the whole house and it was really cool and I shared all my joy with you and you seemed to really like it and I don't know. So that's the first instance we see of that uh, with her. After that, we have um, a bit of time with these characters where they're reunited. They're wandering through this house. There's some great character building uh-huh, that uh-huh. happens. Yep. Um, anything you want to really speak to at that point? Oh, man, there's so much good stuff that happens good in the stuff. interim here. I want to keep it kind of brief just to make sure that we're not going uh, too crazy. But, yep. yeah, they all they all kind of investigate the house, you know, um, uh, Caius comes over and has Val go and hang out with him for a little bit. Uh, Nefreya goes and meets Caius because Caius is the captain of the guard in in Ebonvale, and she starts talking to him like, "You gotta go tell Arsenio that he has to give me my deed because that's what we had, and I have a contract, and we completed the the terms of the contract." Yeah. So that all happens, you know. Val comes back, everybody everybody settles in for the night, and. Um, Shadow at this point has a dream, uh, and it is this like visceral cold. Uh, he can feel all of this like cold on his skin, and then he like remembers he's made of metal, and he's kind of confused about the two things. And we realize that it is a dream about Shadow being basically torn in half by a great white dragon. Its rearing claws slash forward once more, but rather than feeling your flesh slice, you hear a sickening crack as your entire left leg from your thigh down snaps off and disappears in an arc through the tundric wind. You recognize only the pain, unable to process anything else as shock consumes you. You know you shouldn't be able to break. You shouldn't be able to. You're made of metal, right? The natural panic rings in your ears, underscored by your lucidity. Pain pierces the left side of your torso. Massive teeth spear your flesh. Ripping your left arm from its socket, the dragon tosses you through the air. Your blood paints the sky red. Mid-air, looking down at the ground, you answer your own question. Metal? Oh, of course. That hasn't happened yet. You hear the sound of snow being impacted by whatever is left of you. And your body meets the ground. Stuck in this tundra of snow. um, And he wakes up for it and just kind of grumbles about like it's something that he's experienced a hundred times before. And upon doing this, he hears Arno crying outside. And he learns that Arno is really upset because... He really wants to, like, be with her in, you know, a friendly way and, and be caring for her um, and, you know, help her get on her way in, in this new world. But he's also confused because he's looking at the face of his best friend, right? And he's he had already come to grip, like, come to grips with the, the fact that she had died six years ago. And he had already mourned her and gone through all of these steps. And now she here she is walking in front of him, but it's not her anymore. And he's having a lot of troubles with that. And, you know, Shadow and, uh, and Arno kind of have a heart-to-heart about, you know, trying to console each other about the difficulties of, of what they both have to go through. And um, unfortunately, her overhears this 
and they all have to kind of go and um, talk it out amongst themselves about what all of this means, what all, you know, like being someone new in this world, but also experiencing all the pain, like where all of these uh, intersections collide and how they can help each other. Um, those type of things are all kind of coming together in this one night of weird, uh, crazy experiences. And I do think that scene um, where her overhears and they all talk together, that's one of the top scenes of season one. I love that scene. I, it's a beautiful scene. It's and so I, good. I think, you know, the, the music's great and, and the conversation's really good and um, everybody leans into the, yeah. the, the conversation so well. Why do you all have to be in here? I thought... I, would it just be better if Lyra was here and I wasn't because it seems like everybody wants to see Lyra and I'm not her I'm me and who I am doesn't feel like I'm good enough I, I feel like me being here is causing people more pain than it needs to but don't know how to handle that I mean look at me I'm a person in someone else's body. It's not even mine. I don't... Arno kind of looks at you with these like cold, almost like realizational eyes and he... His jaw goes ever so slightly slack and he grabs his staff. He looks down at his feet and he exits the room. Her visibly crumples. She just puts her head in her hands and just... You hear a... As stuck into the back wall, you see a card affix into the wood paneling. I look around for Val. Uh, roll me a perception check. Okay. That <laughs> one. That one. Yeah. You definitely, you look around, you don't see him anywhere, and the card is just stuck into the wood paneling. I guess I go grab it. You go over to grab it, and the card reads on it, Lyra sucks, and you don't suck. <laughs> Val... Where are you? Come here. <laughs> Shit. Uh, he kind of... <laughs> you you audibly that. hear from behind his door, Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then just this slow creak as he kind of opens it and waves a little bit. And, um, and then I would uh, walk over to her, um, not sitting on the bed. Um, Thank you. But <laughs> kneeling down um, to you, or next to you on the bed, or not on the bed, on the floor next to the bed. Adjacent yes, to the bed, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, looking down at the mattress, just, you don't need to be anything else than what you want to be. That's something... I should have been told a long time ago. And I'm still trying to learn from it. 
because all I've been doing is what others want me to do. And I've still been paying for it to this day. And then looking up at you. I'm here to protect you. And you as well. Looking over at Val. And I think that's what... um, I think one of the great examples of what sets the show apart. I think when you think about Dungeons and Dragons, you think about um, the battles and the magic yeah. and the, the levels and you know all of that. Yeah. And this really is character-driven storytelling. Yeah, I think we're less worried about the combat. We're less worried about you know the crunchy numbers, right? Like there definitely yeah. still is combat. Yeah, there's de- definitely oh, still uh, some. Of course, yeah. there's some awesome stuff especially i'm gonna we're gonna get there we'll get there, there are things yeah. that are gonna be relevant later uh but yeah i uh, i'm really excited to talk about that but it's not as it's I, i'm not looking to throw combat in for combat's sake if there's combat it's because it's relevant to yep. what's going on right and that's my main intent is to make sure that you know we have the system for combat but it's not the main focus right i want these three characters to be the main focus of the season so we have this great character building moment. Our characters feel closer to each other, yeah, um, which is so important, especially in the middle of the season. Yeah, um, and then they split up again. Yes, uh, walk us through what's happening with uh, with Val. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I would say here. Let me think here. I'm just trying to get all my thoughts yeah, like how straight you, in my brain. Absolutely. I, once again, this you know. This flowchart is a web of craziness, so uh, I'm just trying to like look through the way that I tried to organize my thoughts in the previous days. Uh, yeah, well, so and this is a point where there's definitely a shift, right? In, yeah, in the way the story moves, it was a little bit more whimsical, and then it starts to get like, um, I want to say like the beats happen quicker, right? Yeah, things are things are hitting harder quicker and they're having to react a lot more swiftly to what's going on around them, right? Yeah. Um, so Val, uh, you know, knowing that Caius has to go and talk to Arsenio again, he takes Orion and uh, Arno, and they all go to, the four of them go to the Guard house again, and they basically force Arsenio's hand to hand over the deed that was written out as a lawful binding contract to the Vero, right? And Arsenio, the long and short of this interaction is that Arsenio is supremely angry and starts to basically talk at Caius that if the law can't assist him in what he wants to do, that he will take it into his own hands. And Caius kind of tells Arsenio that he's going to pretend he didn't hear him say that and walk away and try not to get involved all of, in all of that. He just wants to solve the first problem, which is get the deed handed over to the Vero like they were promised. Um, you know, Arsenio is kind of mad because, you know, the captain of the guard doesn't do things so swiftly for most people, right? But somehow he's been pulled in in this scenario by the Vero. Uh, a little bit of potential... Um, political influence going on there with the captain of the guard and uh yeah he he hands over the deed he doubles down that he's definitely going to stop at nothing to save his daughter and bring her home and so uh, 
the way the listener hears it in the season, we hear we learn of things out of order. But right. I think for the sake of our recap, yeah, we can go ahead and talk about Arsenio's plan here. Yeah, because things start to take place pretty quickly. Yes, yeah, Arsenio pretty swiftly starts to basically um, form up this plan of I'm going to hire some people and I am going to kidnap uh, this person that I believe to be Lyra and I'm going to take her back. Uh, and we're going to go to this other house that we have in a completely different city, and then eventually I'll fix her memory, and it's going to be fine. Um, at the same time, you know, Arsenio's wife, Celine, is pregnant, right? And she is, like, they, they finally have a child that is, you know, that they're going to um, be able to raise again after reeling for so many years after Lyra had passed away, right? Um, and now the mentalities of Celine and Arsenio are kind of colliding too. And, you know, Celine's like, you've got another child on the way. Like, this doesn't actually seem like it's our daughter. Something magical is happening here. And I don't right. really know what's going on. But yeah, his whole goal is to kind of get her back, kidnap her, and bring the whole family to another city where they can basically start their lives over. And that's where Arno and Val run into Villavar for the first time. Yeah, so Villavar um, is, <laughs> he's a shitty mage. Like, he's, he's really good at what he does, right? Like, in the grand scheme of things. Like, uh, on average, Villavar is above average, right? However, Val and Arno are above, above average. He stares down at Arno, and he says, Well, if it isn't Arno May, and he spits the last name at him, obviously intending it as an insult. He looks up to you, Val, and he says directly to you, And who might you be? One of the many people that has brought this decrepit cripple to get all the nice things he doesn't deserve? I'm sorry, did you just deliberately trip a man who can't walk on the street? Uh, he just says, This piece of shit has been tripping up other people for all his life. And Arno just kind of like stands hobbling back up. He says, Let it go, Villivar. I'm not in the mood. You're a skilled wizard. No one can take that from you. Is he? Uh, Villivar, like, actively, one more time, as Arno pulls back up on this staff, shoves him again down into the ground. It's funny, Arno. You say skilled wizard, I say piece of shit. And so, uh, the whole story with Villivar is that when Lyra was young, Arno was hired to be her mentor in magic, right? Because Lyra wasn't allowed out of the house because Arsenio and Celine had had so many problems with having a child before this that they never let Lyra out of the house because they didn't want her to die, right? Which is ironic in that sense. But, um, uh, you know, one of the things that they did to kind of keep her, you know, uh, lively and able to interact with the outside world was they had someone who knew magic come and try and teach her, right? And so Arsenio at some point got uh, got a job offering out there and Villavar was one of the candidates for this job. It was extremely high paying, you know, like when you have a noble house that's going to pay you for a lot of money in order to teach their child. It's like the cushiest job that you will have forever that you never have to worry about getting money ever again kind of thing, right? And Villavar was really excited for this, and he was more qualified at the time than Arno. But mm. somehow, Arsenio was persuaded 
into having Arno be her tutor instead. And Villavar has been bitter about that forever. And they run into Villavar. Villavar basically tries to attack and assault uh, Arno. Uh, you know, Val steps in. They have a bit of a scuffle. Villavar leaves with his tail be- between his legs and is um, uh, very much an upset puppy about the whole situation. So while all this is happening, yeah, her and Shadow have gone off elsewhere. Yes. Um, walk us through what's happening with them. Another one of my yeah, favorite scenes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is so, it's seriously super fun. Um, this is a much more lighthearted path uh, in this whole story yeah. because uh, this one's not nearly as tense as give me my daughter or shit's going to go bad for you. Right. It's more, you know, they don't want to participate. And so they go out into the city and her gets a makeover and goes to this, you know, this place where there's a marionette that is giving her this haircut and this yep. new set of clothes. It's so like swift and fun. Uh, you know, they get a new uh, arcane focus for her, which um, for anybody who is a, a little unfamiliar with the terminology, an arcane focus would be something similar to like a wand or a staff for a wizard. It's just something that they use to cast their spells. And she has this large brass orb that she buys to channel her magic, her time magic, right? Because yep. it has like a clock face on the front of it. Um, orb. Or, yes, the orb. orb. She, she uh, honestly, I remember her. <laughs> The whole reason that she has this is because at the time, all of the orb memes were going around. In at, real life. In real life. A, yeah. And she was like, you know what? I want her to have an orb. I want her to be able to ponder an orb. And I was like, okay. And I, I built her an orb. And she was like, this is everything I could have ever wanted it to be. I love you so much. Thank you for the orb. And I was like, I don't, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) And she was so happy about it. Um, But another thing she bought was paints and she painted some, uh, some designs on shadows arms that were lovely, some flowers and uh, some bright colors. And it was one of those moments where shadow was definitely seen in Ebonvale as someone who was from Levitica and, and they were scared of him because he was this hulking, like, seven-foot-tall robot, right? Yeah. And he is an imposing figure, right? If you see a seven-foot-tall robot walking around, it's just, like, unnerving, right? Because there's this right. uncanny valley of, like, there's, you know, expression in this thing, but it's not like me. It's so different from me. It's uncanny and, and confusing, right? And for Shadow, that was something he had to deal with every day. And her was trying to empathize with him and try and make him feel more loved, right, and more cared for. And so by giving him these uh, almost like tattoos, right, she was showing him that, uh, you know, she wanted him to be um, to be happy and to be more bright and colorful and have a little bit more comfort in who he was and, and be more comfortable in his own skin. I will have Shadow sit down and I will take the white and the blue and the yellow. And I'll spend however long it takes to paint a myriad of flowers up and down both of your arms. Oh, very nice. I love that. um, I put like, (laughs) I put white dots like freckles across your face. (laughs) That is the coolest. So like are the stems of each of the flowers white and then the blue and yellow are the actual flower petals? Yeah. That's really cool. And then some of the flowers are just white. Very nice. Very nice. Um, let's see. And then... This is super cool. I love it. On the palm of your hand, 
on one of them, I make a yellow sun, and on the other one, I make a white moon. Shadow, you look down like she's impressively good at this. Like, oh, wow. like okay. she's got a natural ability to do this. Like, it just seems like it comes, like from vision to paint, it is really, really well done. Dang. Okay. Handwriting's still really bad, though. Yeah. Um. Uh. <laughs> g- g- gain an inspiration. Yay. Yeah. That was awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I would. I would look down at my arms and just like nod a few times and just. I would just, like, put both hands on either side of you and just, like, hold you for a second. Like, thank you. I just hug you. And I just say, you're welcome. (laughs) Shadow, it's odd. Like, I don't think that you felt so much, like, free care or free love given to you um, by a group of people in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, great scene. I loved that. It was so fun. The way that Morgan... Uh, emulates those things. I'm just like blown away by her all the time at at how she handles stuff. How and gosh, you know the way that that Josh is just so like rock steady in yep. the way that he he portrays Shadow is just ah, I love it so much. He, they're so good. I I mean obviously Jackson does incredible at, at Val too, but this is we're talking specifically this, about this season, right. scene right now. But like the way that those two just like portray those two characters uh, in this scene is just like it's it it's such a cool juxtaposition of the two separate worldviews, right? Shadow has obviously up until this point done some really questionable things, right? right. As if we go back to the Colosseum fight, there's a moment at the end of the Colosseum fight that uh, with Orion where he just straight up snaps the neck of the lion guy so that he can't go looking for them afterwards in case he's bitter, right? In yeah. case the lion guy is upset that they won, he kills him out of cold blood and just walks away like it's nothing. And obviously it shows that Shadow has had to do stuff like this a lot when he works with the Nachtwandera, right? And her is trying to, you know, the juxtaposition of her being this kind of whimsical, naive new experience is uh, it's really wonderful to kind of see them put perspective on each other and grow together in that relationship in, in that scene. Right. So I love that one a lot. Our heroes all come back together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some information sharing yep. um, in terms of now we learned about Villavar and, and all of that that's yep. happened. Yep. Um, and then things really start to speed up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, walk us through what's happening here and what we need to know. Yep. So uh, they they prepare for something called Harvest Tide, yep. right? Because they know that Harvest Tide is coming up, which is a cool celebration where everybody gets together. It's like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Right? Yeah. Right? It's that's essentially Thanksgiving, yeah. right? Um, I'll drop most of the nuance in our recap just so that everybody knows. Because whenever right. I describe Ebonvale, I try my utmost to never say, it's like Pride Rock, but bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I just like try and make, because like when I describe fantasy things, I'm not like, he's a robot. I'm like, he's a warforged. He's a man made of metal, right? You right. try and say it differently, but I'm going to drop, drop as much nuance as I can just to be so clear and concise. Um, but yeah, they basically are preparing for Thanksgiving. Harvest Tide, and um, Orion comes and hangs out with uh, them for a moment and takes Val aside and says that he wants him to join the the Vero, right? And also Val tells him about Villavar attacking Arno and him. And Orion tells him, yeah, next time, just kill him, and I'll cover it up for you. So there's obviously some, like, I think 
the intent behind that that statement is that Orion very much doesn't like it when his people are being messed with, but if you're not his people, he doesn't care about you. And I think that's something that's been kind of like a, a theme throughout the whole show yeah. is Orion, if he doesn't know you, you're a number. But if he does know you, he really cares about you. Um, which is like a weird paradigm in, in the, that's his big character flaw for me. Like, right, if he doesn't know you, killing you is not a big deal to him. But if he does know you, th- this there's a large amount of emotional space he allots to you in his heart, right? Yeah. And so once, you know, originally he was the one who sent the Goliath after them in the first episode to test their combat abilities, right? To see if Val was really this lucky person that he was told he was. Right. And to him at the moment, Val was just a number. But now that Val's being threatened and he likes Val, everybody else needs to die if they're starting to hurt him. Right. And so that's kind of the paradigm shift that we can see with that exact moment. Tell me about what happened. Uh, Shithead uh, pushed Arno over and then pushed Arno over again. And I was like, don't do that, my guy. And he continued to do it. And then he shot blasts at us and missed. And then I made, I cast Cloud of Daggers behind him and was going to push him into it. And, uh, then he gave up, and then I tripped him as he left. <laughs> right. Um, next time that man lays a hand on anyone you care about, um, I want you to kill him. I mean, yeah. Don't worry about the consequences. <laughs> I will make it go away. Okay. Nobody messes with my people. Nobody. I'm not telling Arno because he doesn't have the heart for this sort of thing. But... I can't have the Vero looking weak or people thinking they can push my people around. Hmm. Do you want to uh, move on from there or, or do you want more context around those situations? Let's go ahead and move on. Okay. Let's keep it moving. Um, but I think it's it's great to get an understanding of yeah. where Orion sits in all of this. Yes. And, and especially um, Val and the Vero. Yeah. Right. I think I'm trying to keep it thin with Orion right now as much as I can for a recap episode. But yeah. there is a lot of Orion that there's a lot of nuance to the way that Orion kind of comes through and interacts with the characters in the whole first season. You should go back and listen to it if you have <laughs> yes. the time. Yes, but definitely. if you don't, I think there's a lot of good stuff you can just get from here. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about... Um, Honestly, I th- I think the Levitican embassy might be first. Let's do okay that. With you. Okay. Let's do that. Because uh, I liked the way that we kind of... I, I want to go through this bit because I think that it's just so... I love this one so much. Uh, Shadow is told that he has to go back and meet up with Vintner again yeah. at the embassy in Ebonvale. He goes there. It looks exactly the same as in Blackwater. One of the uh, defining characteristics of Levitica is that they have architecture that they create, and then they just do it again and again and again, and it never changes, and it's all boring and the same. But it looks fantastic but all of it is exactly the same. The realtor in me is screaming. Yeah, oh like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I know. That, that, that's kind of the intent though, right? Like you go right. to one city of Levitica and it's incredible. It looks beautiful and wonderful. All of the architecture is uh, incredibly stylized and, and like clean cut and well-maintained. But then you go to another Levitican city and it's the exact same thing. Every major city in Levitica is exactly the same. Yeah. And it is really uncannily weird, right? Because, like, the people who made it, they were just like, new city here, good enough, 
next one. And they did the exact same thing like seven times, right? right. And the, the, the unnerving part of it is that that whole sameness. It's almost disorientation by understanding the previous orientation, right? Because when you go into a city, you're supposed to be like, oh, I know where everything is. But then all of a sudden you're in the same exact look and feel, but there's different things around each corner and it's, it's really odd. So the intent with that here is showing the Levitican embassy in Blackwater and Ebonvale are literally identical and it's very unnerving. Interesting. Um, I digress. Uh, ultimately, Shadow goes in, meets up with Vintner again, and Vintner describes to him what Enavion is. Now, I've already described it here, but once again, right. he does that, and he gives Shadow a device to tell if someone is Enavion, and he tells him to go and use it on both her and Val and see if either of them are Avian. If they aren't, kill them, and if they are, bring them back to Vintner. The device he hands you looks like a... Um, a small semicircle. There are arms that seem to swivel out from each side of the handle, and each of them has a gemstone attached to them, one of them being red and the other um, being blue. Magic in this world is cast through the weave, and Avians are always connected to the weave because of their souls. If you could call them that, well, they were created there. To use this device, hold it towards someone you suspect of being a Vian. The two stones will harmonize at the same raised level from a purple and form a purple beam of energy between themselves if they are a Vian. This was whipped up by one of our research specialists at Eden. Interesting. And you know Eden to be the... Very few people know this, mm -hmm. but Eden stands for the Evian and Dockant Engineering Nexus. Oh. Were they necessarily made... Or the Where they happens. are researched or engineered. Okay. Different things. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Right? That's the that's the basis of his next step in his in his duties as a Nachtwandra, right? And at this point, he's very connected to both of them, right? They're they're all I would I would like to think at this point, pretty good friends. Um, they've grown a lot together. Um, and now Shadow's stuck with this really hard choice of, you know working with the people that have, you know, given him this body uh, or trying to side with his new friends. And there's a lot of kind of difficulty in those choices here for him. Well, I think that's, you know, not to get stuck on it, but that's the beauty of those scenes that we called out before. Yeah. Right. Those deep conversations, the yeah. painting scene. Like, I think the storytelling of season one did a great job of giving that weight. Yeah. Right, which was important. Yeah, uh, my my intent is the close. So one of my biggest things that I do in D and D is I love I love using the phrase, like I will ask someone what they want in the beginning of a season, right? And I will say the closer that you get to the thing that you want, the more that you don't want to do it, right? So in another campaign, you know, it's like someone wants to go home, but the the more that they get closer to home, the more that they realize they don't need to go home to feel at home right? Yeah. Like their friends, they can find a new home, right? And maybe their home isn't as good as this one, but they're close. They can get there, right? And just like Shadow, he wants to find, uh, it, it, Shadow's whole like 
thing for like joining the Nachtwandra was to find his brother, right? Yes, really and important to put that yeah, in here. Yeah, sorry, that's like super contextual. It hasn't come up until this point. Right. You know, Shadow grew up with his brother and uh, he, they got separated eventually. And he started journeying around Levitica to try and find him and then eventually joined the Nachtwandra because they have the resources to assist him in finding his brother, right? Because they have the most intelligence in all of the country and probably all of the world, right? So... That was one of the reasons why he joined them. Um, uh, oh my gosh, I got completely sidetracked. Uh, there's so many things to think about. It is so many difficult. things to think about, yeah. right? So um, that's the motivation is is trying to find brother, but he is he has gone to the embassy right here. Sorry, to meet he's with getting Vintner. closer, right? So like he gets closer to uh, to doing all of this by being with the Nachtwandra, but the closer right. he gets to finding his brother, the more he feels like the reasons that he, the things that he's doing to get to that point are not good, right? right? And, and so, the most recent one being, now here is this issue with Val and her. Right, and if they're not a Vian, kill them, right? right? Which is something he almost certainly does not want to do. And additionally, he's told that they think his brother is here in the city, but that the twist is that his brother is an anti-Levitican terrorist and that the Nachtwander probably will not like them meeting up. And at this exact moment, a shadowy figure blows up the Levitican embassy. We see rubble and flame emit outwards from the entirety of this building, and it explodes into just this roiling cacophony of violence, right? As you look out the window, you see a form clad in gold and black drop from the roof of the building. Uh, you also see a, a strapped to their back is a single long sword in a sheath specialized from drawing from the back. Oh, okay. You watch as this figure snaps their fingers and they turn into an almost spectral form uh, and yellow and black wafts of smoke start to pour off of them. The next few moments happen almost simultaneously. But to you, time seems to slow down. The man outside the building begins to fade away, almost like fog in the wind, and then you feel this pressure start to build up around you. You look at Vintner, and his scowl has turned to surprise as he gazes just beyond you. His moves are sedated, your adrenaline turning time into a slow-moving picture. Your head whips around in this odd space in coronal reality as you see a ball of fire and force ripping through the building behind you. What do you do? And Vintner is freaking out and he is like a caged animal trying to discover what just blew up the embassy. Um, Vintner himself is a rather robust person, and Shadow being made of metal, neither of them are too incredibly scarred from the explosion. However, Vintner starts to stand up and scan the horizon, and he fires bolts of uh, magical energy from this firearm that he has into the distance, and he tries to stop whoever just blew up the embassy. Uh, it turns out that Vintner... In his um, in his riled up state, accidentally shot uh, Mimi, the goblin woman that we met earlier. Right. Who um, 
is kind of like tumbled out on the ground, just covered in blast wounds. And she looks like she was also herself preparing for Harvest Tide. Um, and oddly enough, at this point, we had learned that Mimi was going to actually come over and celebrate Harvest Tide with our group together. And in this moment, Vintner is trying to cover up these problems that have just occurred, right? You know, he doesn't want to be seen as this, uh, you know, as a murderer of Ebonvale citizenry, right? And if he gets caught, then all of a sudden Levitic is in a lot of hot water. So he tells Shadow to push Mimi's body into the fire, right? And Mimi's still alive. She's just really hurt. And Shadow completely refuses. And at this exact moment, he picks her up and he sees an infrared flare shot out uh, in the distance. And it's a special type of flare that can only be seen by those who have special uh, special eyes uh, that, uh, that the, the peacekeepers and Warforged have. Um, and the only other peacekeeper in the city is 867. So it is pretty clear that 867 is, is in a lot of trouble. So tell us where 867 has been yeah because it's my favorite <laughs> i part didn't of put a lot of context <laughs> in here and i was like oh man logan's gonna kill me because i didn't talk about <laughs> flark <laughs> um. as you all sit down at the booth arno knocks on the top of the table and says wake up you piece of shit we're hungry a mouth opens at the center of the table splitting it in half Wow, Arno, getting stronger. Over here a couple uh, a couple months ago, you, you, you know, if you keep doing that, you'll be able to finally break those toothpicks you've been training for. And <laughs> Arno just looks back down and he says, don't worry, buddy, you'll get it eventually. <laughs> and he, he looks up towards you, he's like, wow, you got a really nice headband. Uh... I'm sorry. You got a really bad headband. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not very good at this. That's just, right. Just end your sentences with an expletive. Okay. Fuck. There shit. is. No. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> no. Wait. No. I did. Okay. Just say your headband looks really nice, bitch. Your headband looks really nice, bitch. There it is. Got him. Nailed it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I mean. Fuck you. Good yeah, enough. No, I got go. it. I'll get it there eventually. You did it. Are you? Are you new? Uh, well. No, just bad. <laughs> it's all right. We'll get there. <laughs> Logan is dying in his chair. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, yes, go ahead. Tell us where these other characters uh, are. Yeah, so they all go to breakfast at a place called the Monster Within, and it is just a huge inn that is uh, basically staffed by a bunch of mimics. The Monster With. The Monster With. In. Space In. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, it is probably one of my most favorite puns that I've gotten to do on the show so far. Like, the sign hanging above the inn is, uh, is a talking sign. It is a mimic, right? It is, it is a being that can shapeshift into other things and make themselves look like something else. Normally, these things are monsters that would eat adventurers, but all of them kind of got together and were like, hey, I wonder how it would be if we all just ran an inn in a city. And they all just kind of got together and tried it out, and that's where they are now. Um, and the whole like jit like you know joke about this place is that you go in and all of these mimics roast you while you're inside of the of the inn <laughs> and you get breakfast. So they all go sit down at a table and the table's name is Flark, and all of the <laughs> there's a lot of nuance to this. This episode it's is so lovely. Good. You it's should so definitely good. go watch it uh, or listen to it. But they sit down at a table and the table's name is Flark, and the Flark is 
terrible at at roasting people and they're all just sitting down trying to roast each other and he sucks at it and i think it's just like <laughs> it's this wonderful it's this wonderful moment of just like uh, it happened completely in the moment too. Like Flark was supposed to be really good at making fun of people, but I fucked it up in the in the moment of describing it. And so on the fly, I was like, "No, Flark's just terrible at this." And all of a sudden, it was just like it was one of those moments where it it just like came out of the ether, and it was so much more fun because of it. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it was it was a great time until Villavar came in. So Villavar shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, if we can all discern this uh, with the power of retrospection, uh, we know that Villavar was actually hired by uh, Arsenio, and another a group of people with Villavar were hired by Arsenio to try and help kidnap her. And they come in, they uh, hurt Arno really bad. Um, you know, Villavar snaps one of the horns off of Arno's head, and they teleport a short distance away and start running. Um, 867 dives through the window and breaks through the glass, opening up this pathway for the rest of the party to jump through and, and try and take chase. They catch up and they had this huge battle in the center of the, of this like plaza that's nearby. And 867 is just stomped into oblivion. And the last thing that he's able to do with the last couple moments of uh, of his life that he has in the show is shoot up an infrared flare so that he can call for Shadow. And uh, the battle with uh, Villavar and friends begins. <laughs> yes. Do you want to step back into the Flark stuff? Is that what? It, no, uh, like no, no, I see no, the no, smile no. on your face, no, and I'm no, like, no, no. he wants to talk about Flark more. I'll talk about Flark all day long. Right? <laughs> uh, that's the best character in the show, in my opinion. <laughs> Forget everyone. We have else. to get a new table for the uh, for the LAS studio and paint a big Flark mouth on it. Ooh. That would be a lovely thing to do. I, I, like I would it. love to do that. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Um, no, this battle, uh, Shadow needs to get to the others right he's all the way at the levitican embassy across the city right and this um was so this whole scene um was so shocking to me yeah. when i listened to it why it was, was it shocking because it was so surprising okay and so violent it was extremely violent yeah what happens so yeah shadow all of a sudden starts running towards the rest of the group towards this flare and he finds himself speeding through the um the streets of the city like a train shadow you hear voices and shouts around you they seem to fade in this like low monotonous hum the edges of buildings blur ever so slightly as if reality can't seem to focus for your eyes you take a single step forward, and as your foot lands, the cobblestone beneath your feet cracks from the acceleration. Your movement carries you with incredible speed, as if each extension feels like a leap propelling you forward. You start churning your way like a train down this pathway, down this alley, towards wherever this is. In almost instance, you feel like you are passing by block, by block, by block, it is instantaneous. Your your movement is faster than you've 
ever, ever gone. And you're not sure why. You don't understand. You see people, as you're passing by, they try and turn their heads to look at you, and they're too slow. Jeez. You grab her arm, and as you do, your fingers sink through the metal as ripples of power radiate around her arm. <laughs> and you sink in and you grab the internals of her arm and yank it off of her. And as you do so, you pull this body away and you see the half of her split in two as beneath you and this current speed, you are just a force of nature. You grab her body to push her away, and your hand sinks through her torso. Oh, God. And oh. you turn her into jelly. You make you her, her nothing in an instant of a second. Ugh. And she falls backwards, and you just hear this sickening <laughs> as she just falls into guts on the ground. Everybody around him is moving in slow motion because... Her right now is in, in complete duress, right? And she is incredibly upset. And the this is the moment that we realize her time magic is linked strongly to her emotions, right? And in this moment, she is calling out for Shadow along with 867. And she focuses on him and he speeds up to like four times his normal speed. And he just is like sprinting through the city, leaving like, you know, potholes from his feet going through uh, along all the cobblestones. And he gets to the person that is holding her and he basically just sticks his hands through them and rips them in half like jelly and completely eviscerates them uh, because he's moving insanely fast and they are a soft, squishy dwarf and he is has no time for people who are hurting his friends yeah yeah and yeah. i think it's definitely worth going back and listening to the sequence because man is was it i think probably that was probably my favorite sequence to describe in the entirety of the season i'm it, not gonna lie it pretty was impressive awesome yeah. i loved that one so um we have this um this battle yeah this fight that's taking place Mm -hmm. And uh, and like I said, it's it's pretty violent. Um, yeah. And I mean, the show has had fights in the past, yeah. um, but this felt like something a little bit different. Right? It was it was definitely a culmination of very strong emotions, right? I think yeah. that they had all become really good friends at this point, and all of a sudden, people were assaulting not just you know they had killed eight six seven right who was you know at like one of the one of the family at this point fan favorite for sure right yes yeah. and uh and also you know they were trying to take her away and they were trying to split up this new found family that they were all trying to create right, right. and this was not something that any of them were really too excited about and there was a lot of high emotion that came in here to to stop this yep so yeah yeah um sadly at the very end uh you know, Arsenio, his intent was to hire these people, but he also had a backup plan that right. he would be hiding in the shadows, and uh, if they failed, he would step in and grab her and teleport them away himself. And at the end of this fight, even after they succeeded completely, Arsenio walked in, grabbed her, cast a teleportation spell, and teleported her away. 
Yeah, I don't think we need to beat around the bush, no, right? What yeah. happens next? Let's, okay, yeah. So uh, ultimately, uh, Caius appears. Re- yep. He, you know, he kind of reacts to people um, uh, alerting him to the murder. Oh, this is kind of important. You know, her has learned a new spell, a time spell that that reduces uh, or, or reverses wounds, right? And so during this battle, she had reversed the wounds on Mimi. Right, and she had used one of her higher level right. spell slots to heal Mimi, so that Mimi didn't suffer. Right, because they had all really liked Mimi at this point. There were some interactions that they had had up until this point to right. kind of get them all uh, acquainted. Right, and so Mimi was still badly injured from being shot by Vintner. Right, but was not through hers assistance was not actively dying. Anymore. Dying. Yes. Yeah. So Caius came around, grabbed Mimi, and started to um, talk to Val. Uh, he learned about the events that transpired, and he gave Val teleportation cards to get around the city um, and gather resources for whatever comes next, uh, heavily implying that he can't really storm the Gildan Guard's house, but he knew that they could. And um, they all go and take the body of 867 and a hurt Arno back to their house, where Greya, who is an experienced healer, can start to heal Arno. Right, um, Greya in her past life was a cleric of of her religion and was able to cast healing spells and things like that. And she will heal her son. But this is one of the moments where we start to learn uh, one of Greya's biggest secrets. Right, and she reveals that Arno is actually Arsenio's bastard son, and that he that Arsenio was never there for Arno. And she requests that the team kill Arsenio, but never reveal to Arno that Arsenio was his dad because she doesn't want him to be hurt any more than he already has been. And this explains why Arsenio hired Arno. Right, because he was blackmailed by Greya, right? Because right? she said, you know, I want my son to... You, you stuck me in this situation. I'm going to start telling people if you don't hire Arno because he deserves to have a happy, cushy job because you already fucked up so much of his life, you right. need to help him with, with this, right? And so that's why he got the job over top of Villavar. So then this side quest is assigned to them of of kill Arsenio, yeah. don't tell Arno. Right, that's what Greya says that she would like them to do, definitely. Right, yeah. right. Um, after that, they go and they find Orion at the church, and they try and talk Nefreya into providing them with a little bit of assistance. Nefreya refuses saying that it's not their problem the vero don't have any real stake in this situation they've already got what they want they got the deed that's all they care about right but orion sees it very differently at this point you know he definitely sees these people as somewhat probably the closest thing he's had to friends in a long time and he comes with them to try and help save her and he defies nefreya's orders and goes with them to the gildan guard estate which is a little bit interesting, maybe a little bit out of character. Yeah, I think f- especially the Orion that we meet at the beginning of the season, right. it's definitely out of character for him. He's very much more focused on his own survival and how to succeed for himself, right? I mean, that's very much exemplified by the fact that, you know, he has he has aces of his sleeve, right? He puts oh, he puts Arno in the stands to make sure he wins, right? You know, yep. uh, at the beginning of the of the season we see him buying like specialized arrows for specific uh, encounters just to try and make sure that he he has an edge on people, mm-hmm. right? And at this point, it's not, I'm prepared for this situation. It's, I am emotionally tethered to this situation. I want to help because I care about you. 
So Val, Shadow, and Orion are heading to the Guard estate. Yep. Um, what's happening with her at that point? Wow. Um, if we have talked about it before, her has a very strict tie between her time magic and her emotions, right? And so she starts interacting with Arsenio. And in Morgan's words, um, at this point, she is, quote, big mad. She yes, I think her exact words that she was was that she was big mad. Yeah. Yes, uh, and Arsenio is trying to get her to see reason. Right, he says, "Lyra, you have to stay with me. You're my daughter. You just can't remember." And her is you know fighting back, trying to say, "I'm not your daughter. I don't know who you are. I don't. I think your daughter's gone. I don't think I'm the same person." And they basically go back and forth with this, and she is in this moment of, quote, big mad, and she starts reversing time to when Arsenio teleported them to the Guard estate. And she basically traps him in a time loop for biding for time so that Shadow and Val can get to her. Lyra is dead, and I am not her. And even if I was, you have gone out of your way to make sure that I was ripped away from the only people that I have ever known and called friends. I am disappointed, and not because of your love for your daughter, but your utter disregard and disrespect for her and her wishes. You had the chance to talk to them and ask if you could see me. You could have sent someone to talk to me. You could have left your castle and come to talk to me yourself. You were going to do what you wanted to do anyways. And yet, here we are. You have sent numerous people to kill my friends. You've grievously hurt honor. You've torn me away from the only people that I have ever called family. And I'm sure you think you're doing it for the right reasons. You, as much as anyone else, want to protect me. But this is not it. So fine, let's talk. Maybe I am Lyra and I've just forgotten, but know that this could have been avoided. And I'm disappointed in the choices that you have made to get us here. I know you are confused. I know you think you understand what's going on. You have forgotten everything that I have done for you. And in this moment, where you look at me and you claim me the traitor, where your mind betrays our family, that is not the case. Understand, I have done everything in my entire life trying to get to where we are right now, saving you. I have put so much effort into trying to make sure that you are alive, to make sure that you're safe and healthy. I put a simulacrum spell on your corpse to save you, to see if I could someday revive you. And look, it worked. I did it. You nervously turn your head back to Arsenio, and you lock eyes with him as his emerald uh, as his emerald eyes are indomitably wide. The space around him rips, uh, runes tearing around him, and his hand reversedly tracing the circle back on the ground, the chalk reversing back into the chunk that he has. The room is reduced to nothing, fading around you, piece by piece, evaporating and replacing itself with a different scene. Sky begins to pierce your vision, and you find yourself on a street looking into a sunset sky. You look around on the ground, and you observe all of the spattered blood and strewn dirt from the battle that happened only a short time ago. You find yourself back in the space where you were kidnapped by Arsenio. 
his arms around you again. Arsenio looks at you and he just says, what did you just do? Right. And have you explained the room that they're in at this point? Not yet. But yeah, the room that they're in is one that um, uh, Arsenio built for Lyra. Arsenio is an illusion mage, and he is really, really skilled at it. And so what he does is he makes this almost VR-type room for Lyra so that she can travel to anywhere in the world without actually having to leave their home, right? And so... Right now, he's teleported them back into this and allows her to stay there so that she can kind of get ready before they go, and then it devolves into this teleportation time loop. Right. Yeah. So, they're stuck in this time loop. Yep. Val, Shadow, and Orion are making their way in. Yes. What happens? Um, you know, they, they have some clever decision making and, um, they, uh, they get it into the, they get into the Gildengard estate and they sneak in. Right. And they, it's a fun little bit. It's, oh yeah. Sneak, yeah. I actually really liked that. It was, it was super fun. <laughs> I don't think that I had gotten to give them like a really good sneak moment until that exact point, And it was yep. really fun. Um, they sneak in, they get their way to the illusion room and, uh, they, you know, they're able to, um, find Arsenio and her just recently teleporting in and a battle breaks out and all of the sudden Arsenio starts activating the the room and making them all see these like nightmarish encounters right like it's all of it is focused on making her feel terrible because he wants her to feel doubt in her friends so that she will doubt them and not assist them right um you know some real big villain stuff yeah definitely yeah. it I, I loved creating that room and <laughs> and fun fact that was morgan's idea M- morgan actually came up with the idea for the room and then i came up with the idea for him using it against them in the final fight ah, interesting. so um uh basically uh the you know like he would create versions of shadow that were like you know you're nothing that would say things like you're nothing but a job to me like you know uh i'm i'm here to t- to deal with you uh, and then, like, you know, he would create visions of uh, of Val and say, you know, like, I only found you because, you know, I was looking for a treasure map. You're not actually, like, a person. You are more just a winning to me. And then there would be versions of... Uh, of other people and and it was it was this whole psychological warfare thing that would occur as he was also wearing down their defenses yeah um man they did some awesome stuff in this fight they broke the room really early and all of a sudden all of the images started to mesh together and become these like horrific beings and it was an awesomely fun uh experience i don't think that they got hit once but like at the same time it was so fun right because they gamed me right Right? And I like it when they game me, even if I don't get them, you know, uh, with hitting them, if they figure out the system that I've created and they exploit it and they, they dismantle what I've created, that just means that they're thinking correctly, you know? So, so, um, they, in large summary, in quick summary, yep. um, they defeat Arsenio. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there's a really important moment that happens here, an important character moment yeah. um, for Shadow. Can you touch on that? Yeah. Um, Shadow is about to kill Arsenio. Uh, he is thinking back to Greya, thinking back to all of the pain that this man has caused, not only to her, but to Arno, to right. Greya, to him, to Val. And her says, hey, 
we don't need to add that extra evil into the world. We've had enough. He has already added evil into our lives. We don't need to add more. And he takes a moment, and he steps back, and he decides that this isn't one of those people that he has to kill because there will be other people to deal with him. And her doesn't want to be the creator of that kind of evil in the world. And I think Shadow sees this and takes a little bit away from that and takes a step in a different direction. Wait, did you not want to kill him? No. Oh, I think I misunderstood the situation. You can say you killed him. It's fine. I just... He's done a lot of shitty things. But he very obviously loves his daughter. And I think he needs to live the rest of his life knowing that he could have done things differently. Because I don't think he'd actually learn anything from dying. I think he'd just die and go the rest of his afterlife with no regrets. I want him to live with the regrets. So you think he's just going to wake up and be fine and be okay with you leaving again? I don't want him to be fine with me leaving, but we're going to leave anyway. But he'll just come back again. He won't. Yeah. That was a big one for me. I thought that was really cool. I loved that moment. So there, and just to be clear, that feels like, uh, again, to me as the listener, as the outsider, that feels to me like the obvious thing for Shadow to do if we're looking at just natural storytelling and character development arc. But Josh truly had the choice there. Oh, yeah. He was, like, he told me afterwards that he was, like, 50-50 on it. (laughs) <laughs> he was he was pretty much like he looked at Morgan and Morgan was like she had these pouty eyes and he was like I guess <laughs> and that was it right and it was just it was one of those moments where he was really 50-50 on it I I had no definitive you have to do this or you don't have to do this like they could have walked in and stabbed him to death and it would have been fine right, right. like I I I'm not like I'm not going to railroad them on that right they can yep. choose what they want to do they could have stabbed Arsenio in the first session if they wanted to I guess but like I don't know um, yeah, they could have they could have done any of those things. I'm I'm not I'm not here to to you know hard lock them into those situations if they want to make those decisions. That's what they want to do. Yeah, pretty cool. It's, it's cool to point those things out to feel those things. Yeah, right? I, and I think I think in the moment it's hard to, especially when you're listening to a story that's occurred right, um, right. in the past tense. It's you know like oh or is this stuff like you know scripted and it's like it's really not you know yeah. like he really does have that decision making process right because like he made the opposite decision before where he killed the cat man right right and uh, and other people in between so there was a lot of other options for him to take and he chose the one with you know not killing this time yeah yeah so caius comes yeah takes care of arsenio yep they all kind of get to be able to relax a little bit uh and and go back to their house um you know crisis averted and uh they get to go relax and um they sleep for a long time, I believe, is what they described to me. They, they like sleep until midday, and then they wake up and they realize that Mimi has come over and decided that she was going to invite everybody over for Harvest Tide a day late, and they were all just going to celebrate together. And I loved having this episode. It was such a nice, fun little beach day episode. You know what I mean? Where they all it, get to like just just relax. It's an interesting choice because. You could have just said, oh, Arsenio defeated, end of season. Yeah. Right? But there was this, yes, your beach day episode, yeah. right? It's a conscious choice. Truly it is because yeah. I think there's an intent behind 
uh, trying to make sure that the characters are rewarded for being able to go through these trials, right? You know, the the reward of allowing them to be happy in these character moments uh, yeah. is truly something that I hope to be able to offer them, especially after going through such tribulations in, in, in the first season. Right. Yeah. And then to rip it away from them. In the yeah. Future. I mean, things that might become relevant later are soon <laughs> becoming relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of really cool moments here. Uh, you know, um, they gather together, they eat food, they celebrate, they unwind, they be merry, you know, many conversations are had, questions are resolved. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna be able to cut, like go over the entire episode uh, in in this one small square I have on my flowchart. But um, is there anything yeah. big you want to touch on? There's a play put on, which is fun. Yes, yeah. There's a huge play that gets put on where uh, her is a big bad dragon, and uh, uh, there's a goblin child of Mimi's that gets to be a hero, and then. Uh, Orion plays the princess that needs to be saved yeah. in 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 the play. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, but there are a couple express things that I want to kind of touch on. Yeah. Specifically, Val gives Greya uh, two teleportation cards, one to get her into the room that Arsenio is jailed in because he secretly placed a card on his person before they left. Yeah. And another to get back to this house that they're currently in. He tells her that, you know, while they didn't kill Arsenio, that she can have the option herself if she would like to. And this isn't him being like, you know, oh, you you wanted us to do it? Like, we're not going to do your dirty work. Do it yourself. It's like, hey. That's not the angle. If this yeah. is really what you want, I wanted to provide you with the opportunity because I know that you've been hurt and you deserve this, but you're not required to do it. He gives her the option, which I thought was a really cool moment. So yeah, and I mean, we're reaching the end of our review, but I I do want to dive into this for just a second. Please, yeah. we've talked a lot about her as a character. Yeah. we've talked a lot about Shadow as a character. Yeah, we haven't talked about Val as much. Yeah. Um, and and that's for a couple of reasons. Um, and we'll get to one of the big ones in a few moments. Yeah. Um, but one of them is that uh, Val is a character who is described as both very lucky. Yeah, and lacking empathy yeah um but we've had a lot of discussions about this we, we had have. a lot of discussions about it during the production of the yeah. season of of how um jackson's portrayal of val yeah. either does or does not express empathy and what empathy is and what it means yeah and, and i would almost even say what what it is specifically to val yeah. right because i think to val he when he's expressly trying to feel empathy, it's very difficult for him. But I think passively, he's a little bit more empathetic yeah. in a way, right? Yeah. Um, I think that there are moments where you can feel this empathy from him, but uh, he really tries to actively try and build up the good in him, but he can't really discern if it's like really like the the good, right? He he like right. puts it he he puts this trust in like these people like her seems good. I think people tell me she's good. So like if I stick around here, then I'm good. Right. And it's right. this, it's this kind of like sticking with them to maybe feel like he's doing the right thing in a way, but also yeah. still being selfish at the same time. Sure. Right? So it's, a, it's a very complicated and nuanced situation. So, yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, 
so anyway, the 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 cards are exchanged and this this option is given. Yeah. Um, what else do we need to touch on our beach day episode? I think the last thing, um, man, there's too much to cover. Truthfully, I, I'm I'm not going to be able to give everything its fair shake here. Yeah. But uh, specifically, Orion um, tells Val that he has proved himself worthy enough of being a part of the Vero at this point. So at at this point, you know. Uh, Val has gone through all of the trials that would be necessary to prove himself and through all of the stuff he's done in the city, you know, Orion's like, I would vet you personally and Mm -hmm. he would allow him to get into the Vero himself. Which uh, is important. For the things that have become now relevant. (laughs) The things (laughs) now today are are relevant. Yes. Uh, The day after, Orion notifies the group that they are all going to the church, yeah? Where the Vero are, are, um, you know, are headquartered uh, to receive rewards for assisting them in their endeavors and so that, um, you know, Val can be inducted into the group. You know, they've acquired all of the deeds for every house in the Tiefling Quarter at this point, and so now they own that entire section. They've completed their um, their goals, and they want to reward the group, so they, they bring them there. Um, they all set out into the freshly snowing streets of Ebonvale that have not snowed in a long time. Yes, interesting. Uh, very interesting. Uh, and they get to the church, and wouldn't you know it, Vintner storms through the door, bringing in the Nachtwanderer and Levitican soldiers. Um, he demands that Shadow use the device on Val and her, and it is discovered that Val is shown not to be an Evian, but her is an Evian. He says that he will not kill Val as a token of good faith to the Vero, but he will be taking her away. Um, this is a very tense situation. Um, Shadow, we can, we, we are told that his mechanical body is taken control of, but taken control of by someone that Vintner calls Oracle. Um, and her is magically put to sleep by one of the other Nachtwandera. And Val is very, very upset at this. And he starts to fight back against Vintner. And by fight back, I mean, like, literally, a, like, attack Vintner yeah. on spot. Even surrounded by Levitican soldiers soldiers and Nachtwandra and the Vero, who obviously have some part to play in this, right? right. And in that moment, uh, we get to see how powerful Vintner really is. And it is, uh, it is very powerful. And Vintner guns down Val in the center of the church and... Um, Jackson's character, Val, dies in that moment. Yep. Val's eyes are fluttering open. Vintner moves over, and one more shot rings out through the entirety of this church. And Val lays lifeless and dead on the ground. What the fuck, Alan? Valros fucking died? Yeah, Valros is big dead. Wow. What? And it truly, really, yeah, dies. He is, he is, it was, that was a heart-wrenching moment. But, like, in that moment, Val attacked Vintner, and Vintner doesn't put up with that type of stuff. And I basically was like, he's going to attack you. And, And Jackson was pretty sure of what he was doing. Yeah. And, and it was tough, but... That's, you know, I have to play true to the character, yeah. you know, and Vintner is not willing to let all of his work go to waste. 
Right. So, yeah. Um, so, um, Shadow's body is taken over. Yeah. Her is put to sleep and taken as an Avayan. Yep. And Val is dead. Yes. And in this final moment, Vintner demands from Nefreya to see the leader of the Vero um, and complete the deal that they've made, right? And that's an important thing for us as a listener. Yeah. Is that we have seen Nefreya as the leader, but Nefreya is not the leader. No, she is. She's just the the middlewoman, right? Yes. Yeah. And at this moment, a giant white dragon sweeps into the back of the church and we can see that Vintner and this dragon exchange um, almost a glance of agreement, of understanding that their contract is fulfilled. A powerful gust of wind rattles the panes of glass in this church. A second passes and they shake again, again and again, the gusts rising in intensity. Before the ground shakes with immense impact. Flying in from the removed back portion of this cathedral is a white scaled creature, 30 feet long, bright blue eyes piercing the shadows that separate you. As it moves into the light, scales like swords adorn its wings and icicles like a maned crown its proud head. Vintner and this incredible dragon lock identically cold eyes. Vintner nods his head, and Veroglassiant huffs a small blast of frigid air out of her nostrils in agreement. Um, what the extent of that contract is, we're not truly understanding. It seems to be some assistance with, you know, getting all of the houses in the Tiefling Quarter, passing along the Avians, gaining or putting people uh, from Levitica into these homes, um, all of these things at the same time. However, we also have seen this dragon before, and the last moments are Shadow being unable to move, looking into the eyes of the dragon that once ate his body and who is the reason that he is now in this Warforged, this robot body, and then his vision goes black. And that is the end of season one. And as a listener, because I, I knew... I knew what was happening yeah. to some extent. Yeah. Um, again, producing and being yes. involved and whatnot. Yes. But to to hear the way that it was done, all of that happens very quickly. So quick. I think it's the shortest episode, actually. I yeah. think it's only like 20, 20 to 25 minutes. Yeah. It's uh it all happens really quickly and and not all of that even takes place at the church. The church sequence happens really fast. Yeah. It, it's shocking and I, I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about what you did with um you know of course the final battle with Arsenio could have been the finale yeah but then you have the reward the beach day yep and then you just drop out the floor yeah it, yeah right? sometimes you gotta have a cliffhanger <laughs> <laughs> that's good so yeah so speaking of cliffhangers yeah that's season one yeah um in a nutshell and um I hope you're proud of it. I hope it feels good I'm to so kind of walk through I'm it again. I'm also so happy to have this recap because I think it's a really awesome thing that I've been, I know we've been wanting to do for a long time, yep. and it is here now. So that is good. Let's talk about season two real yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, what? Don't tell us too much, okay? Because you can't. Yeah. But what can you tell us about season two? What What could we expect yeah. from season two? Um, and and what are you looking to do differently? In season one. Yeah, I think that, um, well, we're expanding people, 
we've got a couple new people that are that are getting into the show, right? We've got yeah. new cast members, and that's exciting. Um, we are well. We killed off one of them, right? So. Exactly. So yeah. we need another one, right? Uh, and at least one more. Uh, and uh, we're looking for creative ways to get Jackson back in, but we want to do it naturally as well. We don't want him just to be like, "I rolled a new character. Here they are." Blah blah blah. You know, right. it's that's not. I don't think that that's that's fair to the legacy of Val in a way, right? right. Um, and so there's this uh, this nuance to trying to bring Jackson back in. Don't worry, everybody. Jackson will be back in season two. It's not yeah. not that he's he's gone. It's that the the nuance of of bringing back the situation is different. Um, but uh, it is one of those things where Vintner has taken Shadow and her somewhere, and wherever they are right now, it is definitely not where they would like to be. And I think there is going to be some exciting moments where they are trying to figure out what to do with their next situation and um, and what Vintner really wants with all of these people, um, what he might want with Avians in general. I think that's where I'm going to leave it with that because I think cool. there's a lot of okay. intrigue that can occur there, but I don't, I, I want to tantalize, but not overemphasize. Yep. So, yeah. So if you're listening to this, if you made it to this point, um, you're awesome. You're awesome. <laughs> um, hopefully this serves as either a good recap or a good entry point, a good summary yeah. of 23 hours of wonderful oh my gosh. content. Yeah. Um, which if you have the time, definitely go back and listen. Yeah. But um, if not, season two is coming. Um, by the time this is out, um, we're probably looking at a couple weeks after this. Yep. And we'll start releasing some new episodes for mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Yes, some really cool, exciting, fun things. Yeah. I, I'm excited. The, so far, the players tell me that the direction we're going for season two is already exciting, which makes me happy. Wonderful. So, yeah. Um, if you are not an LAS Plus subscriber, yeah. please consider subscribing to LAS We've Plus. We've got a bunny show on there for us. You've got a bunny show. Yes. Yeah. Jackson actually DMs that one. So it's uh it's three episodes. Uh, yeah. It's a three episode one shot. Yeah. Um, called a bun shot. Yes. <laughs> where you all play bunnies. Yes, we do. It's um, lovely. It's exclusively available for LAS Plus subscribers. Yep. yep. Um, I'm also trying to convince Alan to make another one shot. Oh yeah. All about Flark. <laughs> That's the dream. No, we were actually. I, I'm down. That's I'm, the I'm dream. Yes. It's specifically. Actually, <laughs> what I'll do is I'll have you come in for the one shot, and you can you can play one of Flark's brothers. Wonderful. And then everybody who's in the one shot is one of the the Flark friends. I love it. Yes. Okay. That's great. Okay. <laughs> We've got a plan. Okay. Um, LAS Plus is our premium subscription service. It supports shows like Myths of Myria and other shows on our independent network. It's just $10 a month. It gets you access to bonus episodes, exclusive content, ad-free versions of shows. It gets you access to um, discounts in the Cedar Rapids area at local businesses and partners. It gets you access to exclusive merch. That's a thing that's happening yeah. soon. Really excited about that. <laughs> um, so, yes, and maybe some more bonus stuff as we plan one or two live Myths of Myria events. Oh, yeah. Uh, which we've got planned for season two as well. Yeah. So, yes, um, lasmediagroup.com slash plus to get started there. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Alan. Dude, I'm so happy that we were able to sit down and do this. This was awesome. Yes, I cannot wait to get into season two with you. Yes. It's going to be too. great. It's going to be awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. I think I think we're good. Bye. Bye. <laughs> See you later. Bye.